ever had the feeling you're destined to do something big, but you weren't sure what, because maybe it has never existed yet? You are in the right place. This is the Pagan Monastery Podcast, and I'm your host, Danica Boyce. We know by now what we don't want, so let's start building the traditions, the rituals, and the sacred places that we do want. I believe that with clarity of purpose and love, we can do absolutely anything together. On this podcast, you'll find heaps of inspiration for touching into your innately abundant nature while you follow and help create the unfolding story of how, together, we established the first pagan monastery in Europe. It's coming. We deserve it. So let's get building. Welcome to the Pagan Monastery Podcast. My name is Danica Boyce. This is the first episode of what will be a series on the concept of pagan monasticism. I would love to introduce myself to start, and then I'll go into the concepts that I'm combining in this construct of pagan monastic living, of the pagan monastery, which for the moment is an imaginary one. I don't know of a pagan monastery in existence on the earth at this moment. All I know is that when I put those two words together in my mouth, in my mind, and in my heart, I feel very light, and I feel sparkly, and I feel excited, and I feel driven in a way that I haven't about any other combination of words I've uttered before. So this podcast episode is a bit of a spell. It's a bit of a prayer. And it's an offering to you and to all of the beings of this magnificent place to do with what you will. I'm going to share in this podcast the research that I'm doing towards this subject, the story of my engagement with it as it develops, as I invite you along, as we build community around this idea. And I'm going to share any inspiration or brainstorming or workshopping that I do in the meantime that feels fit for podcasting. You may have heard my voice before in recording. I am the creator of the podcast called Fair Folk, which was in operation from 2016 until 2021. It was a podcast that explored folklore, folk song, and paganism and all the things they had in common. And that's still available to listen to on all of your favorite podcast apps. And if you're wishing for more content from my world, that's the place that you can find it at any time. I am a Canadian-born human of European descent who grew up in northwestern Canada. And at the moment, I am living in Reykjavik, Iceland, and I am recording in a podcast studio at the public library downtown. A magnificent gift to anybody who wants to share their voice and their heart with the world um, from a place that seems sometimes disconnected from it. And something interesting that I was reminded of today when I overheard a conversation at the coffee shop next to where I was writing notes for this episode was the fact that this country was not only settled by Scandinavians coming to live here, it was also settled by Irish monks. These were people who found it in their heart necessary to move away from 
the doings and movements of the world in general. They wanted to be separate from the business and the exchanges and the busyness of everyday life. And so they they went away <laughs> to be more close to the land and more by themselves in isolation in sometimes extremely difficult lands and landscapes such as Iceland. So that's just kind of an interesting thing that I'm in this place that in part was founded by monastics and continues to be inspired by this idea. Iceland also had several medieval monasteries in the later Middle Ages that there are almost no traces of now, but there are bits and pieces in the National Museum that I visited, a broken statue of St. Barbara, bits of stone, a drawing of a stave church. There used to be stave churches in Iceland, just like the ones you may have seen in Norway. To get back to my introduction, I grew up in northern British Columbia, Canada, I have a master's in medieval studies. I studied Middle English and I looked at the folklore and texts produced by medieval Christians that were anti-Jewish in nature. So that is the folklore that deals with people considered other by the particular worldview that Christians inhabited. And so I'm very sensitive to how we use culture as humans either to draw lines about who is inside, who and what is inside of what we identify with, and who and what is outside of what we identify with, and the effects that that has for populations on the earth, including humans and non-humans. And all of my later work since then, that was 11 years ago, has been informed by that awareness. The fact that culture, and folk culture in particular, and religious culture, is a powerful tool for meaning making. And it is in our hands to determine what kinds of meaning we make from that matter, whether that is meaning inspired by and producing love or meaning inspired by and producing fear and division. Love leads to connection, fear leads to disconnection. And this is not to say that we should have no boundaries whatsoever, but I think that at this moment in the world, you might agree that boundaries are in excess in certain areas of life, and that is often where we identify culturally, religiously, nationally, racially. And I'm really curious about where we can dissolve those boundaries and make meaningful, boundaried, healthy relationship instead of fearful division. So after I did my master's degree, I later did a degree in teaching. And in that teaching degree, I did a special focus in indigenous education. I was really curious about how indigenous peoples in North America taught the young in their culture. And I was also curious about how institutionalized learning, public schools, destroyed and attempted to replace traditional ways of learning. And I took a lot of really interesting information from that and a general suspicion of large institutions that was already inspired by earlier experiences of mine in the school system. So as much as I am here discussing monasticism as a historical institution, I am also going to be troubling that definition and that assumption and the ways that institutions, nations, empires, and religions have been built and how we think about them, which is usually shaped by Christian imperialism. When I did this program, I became extremely curious about what indigenous culture 
might look like for people who are like me, that is European settlers who live in North America, whose family has been living on this indigenous land for many years, but with often little connection to it. What are the traditional ways of life that my family might have known? And are there ways that I can connect with them? were questions that arose for me at that time because I saw how healing and how beautiful and how connected and how necessary indigenous worldviews were in North America. And I wanted to see if I could embrace a similar shaped way of being for people like me. And that's when I started looking into folklore and folk music and traditional spiritual ways of being, which I call paganism. And that's when I started making the Fair Folk podcast. And uh, long story short, <laughs> five years later, I began teaching online about folklore and paganism, specifically in a course called Abundance Paganism, which is an approach to paganism that privileges abundance mindset and optimism and steps away from competition and desire to control and fear. If you're interested in that, you can check out my previous Fair Folk podcast episodes on that topic. I've linked those below. That's my official introduction. Here is my introduction for the purpose of this project, of this prayer, of this proposition. I'm Danica Boyce, and I intend to establish the first pagan monastery in Europe. I'm doing this thing here for my teenage self, because I remember how she felt. She felt like there was not many people who really understood her. She felt deeply spiritual, but she felt like every time she encountered a depiction of spirituality, an offer of a spiritual community to belong to, she didn't really honestly belong there. She wanted to be her sparkly, magical self and drop all the public school bullshit, all the capitalist bullshit. She didn't want to grow up to work in the nine to five. She knew that there's only so much time on this earth and she wanted to do something that really mattered. And she wanted to be with people who could help her learn to be her best, brightest, most connected self. She believed in time travel and talking trees and dragons and scriptoriums and fairy courts and everything that you're told not to believe in the modern world. She knew in her heart somewhere that these were the actual truths. And that maybe a lot of the other stuff that we were told to replace it with was the lie. And of course, I am still that person. And I have shaped my life around that. And I've made a career of it. And it is the most rewarding thing I can express to you. That I get to be Danica in the world in her fullest, truest, most honest self. I was too old for Hogwarts when it came out. I didn't really read the Harry Potter series with the same relish that I saw others reading it with, but I was amazed just the same when they came out. I saw the look in the eyes of my little brother and his friends and everyone else inspired by those books. I remember being little and hiding books on witchcraft in the furnace duct in my room along with a bottle of beer because I knew these were things that adults were not supposed to know that I was interested in. Harry Potter was a symptom of a growing awareness in our culture, and that is the need for a newly and deeply enchanted worldview. All at once, all of the children knew what they really wanted, and it wasn't a corner office, it wasn't eternal salvation, it was a castle and friends who knew magic. No big deal. Magic as ordinary life. So that's who this podcast is for. 
It's for the brave and the wimpy and the prescient and the precious, all the Harrys awaiting their Hedwig. This is a safe space for truth seekers and truth speakers, horse whisperers, time travelers, utopian feminists, syncretics, enbies, those who know there's nothing inevitable, not even a little bit, about the way things are. It's embarrassing to be witnessed in your honesty, as I'm doing in this podcast. I'm doing my best to just be really straight with you (laughs) about how much I love this idea of pagan monasticism and how much it's happening, whether I have anything to do with it or not. But this honesty, this vulnerability for me is totally worth it. I'll do it for you in case you don't have the time and the energy and the platform to do it right now. I welcome you to hang out and just see what happens when I open up to the possibility of sharing my truth with the world and seeing how much it's reflected there in the hearts of others. And the reason I'm presenting this as a podcast before I even know what's going to happen is because I know from experience that we don't learn the real, the beautiful, the necessary things, what's worth living for, from facts alone. I could tell you all the facts about paganism, and maybe I will. (laughs) I could tell you all the facts about monasteries, but I know that what's going to touch you is the story that I tell you about it. The true story of me showing up here to be with you, naked and honest. We learn everything that makes us tick, that makes us move and do and love and hate through stories. And when humans are immobilized, they can do massive, unbelievable things. We have shaped the entire surface of the earth in our image. And that's because we were told that the earth belongs to us, that the earth has no life, that we are not a part of the earth and that we should shape it to just serve our purposes in this really disembodied, disconnected way. And look what we've done, right? We've brought the earth to ecological catastrophe. And we don't feel good here either. And I think those things are very closely connected. I think when we heal our relationship, our belongingness to the earth, that's when we'll heal our behavior towards it as well. That's the power of a story to move people to action. We're motivated by feelings. We're motivated by adventure. And we love to learn new things. We love to hear a new perspective. That's why we get this tingly feeling when we hear someone say, you'll never guess what happened. When you hear a good story starting, you can't help but lean in, curious to find out what might be so, what new reality beckons, just two or three degrees of separation away from what you've seen with your own eyes so far. It's just like when you learn a new word, then suddenly you see it everywhere. I want that new word to be pagan monasticism. And just so I believe that the best, most effective prayer we can pray is a true and an earnest story, a story told to the largest group of people possible, most directly from your heart of hearts. So here's the beginning of the story of how I, along with my dear friends, established the first pagan monastery. Maybe you're one of those dear friends of the future. How does it feel to hear that? What sensations are present in your body when you hear those words? Pagan monasticism. I'm not sure how this story is going to play out yet. There's several characters who are yet to be determined. I don't know who's going to participate. I suspect there might be many 
possibly hundreds of people involved in this project as it goes forward. I intend to pray with my feet here. I intend to walk right into the battle that everyone is fighting around us, to pop some Gregorian chant on my noise-canceling headphones, to stand on this soapbox and start telling a more inspiring story to me than anyone I've ever heard before. Let me back up a little bit, and I'll define paganism for you. I take most of this definition from Ken Dowden's book, European Paganism. Although I don't agree with everything that he says in the book, it is a really great outline of the history in a pretty readable format. First of all, historical paganism, that is pre-Christian belief in Europe, was not a religion per se. You could say it was many religions spread out across a vast continent with many different kinds of cultures always growing and changing through time. Paganism is not a faith, it's not a particular belief, although you could say it is animated by a group of beliefs. The concept of a religion as belief is a pretty Christian one specifically. The definition of paganism tends to focus more on practices than on beliefs because there was no creed or dogma in paganism. Paganism is just the random collection of the things that people did that were spiritual before Christianity came around. So paganism tends to be defined by the rituals that make it up and that we have evidence from in archaeology and in texts from the Middle Ages or rarely from the ancient times. And also increasingly these days we look to folklore for evidence of traditional practices in different regions because not all of them can be said to be pagan in origin, but there are aspects of paganism, namely animism and seasonally based ritual that tend to survive through time and regenerate pagan-esque activities. The word paganism comes from the Latin pagan, which means villager, and this refers to the fact that Christianity was adopted most enthusiastically in the city centers, and so it was a way of saying almost like rednecks or backward people. And it's true that paganism lasted much, much longer in the countryside in several places. So it was initially intended for distinguishing those who had not yet converted to Christianity, as Christianity has the drive to convert 
new members, which is not a feature of all religious traditions or groups. The word heathen has a similar origin as well. It refers to people who lived in the countryside, namely the heath. One of the main rituals associated with paganism is sacrifice, and the sacrifice tends to be made to gods or spirits of some kind. Um, sometimes we don't know who sacrifices were made to when we find archaeological evidence of them, but paganism is typically defined as polytheistic, that is, having multiple gods as opposed to monotheistic, which is what Christianity is, having one god that trumps all. Pagans also tend to have an animistic belief, that is, to some degree or another, they would believe, as I believe all traditional societies have at some point in time and often continue to, they would believe that the material world, that is like objects, stones, water, plants, animals, have a life force, have subjectivity of some kind, and have innate value because of that, have ethical standing usually as a result. And um, animism can vary from pantheism, that would be the belief that everything is sacred, everything is in a sense imbued with godliness, there are gods in everything, is one way of expressing that, to select aspects of the physical world being considered sacred and alive. Animism is a term that describes cultures that are usually pre-Christian or only partially Christian because the Christian worldview is the one that produced this idea that there are, that matter itself is emptied of vitality, that the world is, is empty of life, and that, say, humankind um, followed by animals are the most life-filled and animate. There's a scale going down to possibly stone as being the least life-filled, least filled with subjectivity. But animism disrupts that scale and allows other kinds of beings to exist. Another definition that you might find for paganism in, say, if you do a Google search or one of your conventional books about Wicca or witchcraft, they might say that pagans worship nature. And that's not entirely untrue, but again, that idea of a difference between humankind and nature emerged out of medieval Christianity, which really held that humans are separate from the world and will eventually leave it to go into this other ideal place, heaven or not-so-ideal hell. But there's a sense that the world itself is fallen, it is not divine, it's not godly, it's not god-like. And so in contrast to a view that the world is, is fallen and dead, paganism looks as if it worships nature, which I suppose is true. I just think it's interesting that Christianity may have been the first religion that wasn't nature-worshipping by definition, simply because they emphasized their separateness to it in such a stunning degree. We're still living in that paradigm now and calling it secularism. So what is monasticism? If we're combining it with paganism, this is a kind of weird move. It's a confluence of two rather different worldviews, but I think that you'll see what I mean when I describe how monasticism really works, that they go together really beautifully. And I love taking ideas and and concepts from different periods of history and combining them. I think 
really magical things happen together, some sort of incredible chemical reaction that brings new light, a totally new angle to things that seem old and perhaps outdated. Monastery, monasticism, comes from the word monos, which means alone, and it was this idea that one should separate oneself from the world so that you can live with your buddies who are devoted to the same deity as you in a place that is outside of distraction, where you don't have any other obligations except for to worship and to be in devotion and to create beautiful works in service of what you love, the divinity that you are devoted to. Monks chose to separate themselves from the quote-unquote world, that is the world of humans in dense population, sometimes in the city, although monastics also have city dwellings, so that's not necessarily a rule, but usually monasteries would be out in the countryside and sometimes quite remote, such as the monks who lived in Iceland. The purpose of monasticism is to separate oneself from the world so you can spend all of your time in service of and contemplation of the divine. But of course, each monastery was also a place, and each place has its own innate relationships. Places have community, they have special saints, and a special natural landscape that the monks and nuns would be in a mutually beneficial relationship with. And I think the cool thing here is that pagan monasticism takes the unintended side effects of monasticism and centers them instead that connection to the land, that connection to one another, immersion in a particular place and its particular character, the animals and the plants and the seasons that happen in that place, and the particular deities that become sacred to you because of that. Because medieval monastic monks and nuns would usually have a patron saint that they were particularly fond of and who was the patron of their monastery. And saints if you look into it, are often in Catholicism an extension of a god that pre-existed in that region before. And often the stories of saints come from pre-Christian times with just some elements changed to make them properly Christian. Pagan monasticism, in short, is the situation of people who identify as pagan living and gathering together to cultivate a devotional life to what pagans revere, and that may include locally relevant gods or spirits of the land, plants, and animals specific to where you are. In gathering, these pagans may create devotional art, literature, and music. They may educate about the history and current practices of paganism, and they may welcome visitors who desire to participate in pagan ritual and in cultural learning and receive cultural, physical, and spiritual healing led by a respect for the world and for the self as a sacred part of it. Pagan monasticism, as I see it, is primarily about connection with life and respect for all of its myriad expressions. It differs from older models of monasticism because it doesn't seek to separate its members from the world as it is, but it supports them to come into ever deeper and more loving relationship with the world. The pagan monasticism that I see approaching on the horizon is really deeply regional. It collaborates with local nourishing land-based tradition. It's decentralized. It's anti-imperialist. It's non-hierarchical. It draws on local tradition, but it's also not limited to it. 
It's dynamic and generative. It's open to change and adaptation. It's all of those things. And also whatever you want it to be, because it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to anybody who wants it and is willing to go out and make it happen. I've been dreaming of pagan monasticism for a few years now. It's an idea that emerged, just sort of bubbled up out of all the interests that I have and all the things I'm passionate about, vernacular architecture, pagan belief, pre-Christian worldviews, pre-industrial ways of living, connection with the land, nuns and monks, and the aesthetics of medieval Europe, you know, handmade clothing and, and handmade food and beautiful art made by hand, everything that everything we left behind in industrial living, sitting around a fire, singing together, creating new songs, carrying forth old songs and adapting them to suit our purposes. I never had one dream or one moment that I can even remember where pagan monasticism presented itself to me. Maybe this will emerge as I speak more. But I've been holding all these things in me for many years, and they came together a couple of years ago, and they've actually just been secretly my compass as I became a podcaster and a public teacher and speaker on paganism and folklore in the last several years, became self-employed and started my own company, and I've been saving money, and I've been working with this beacon in my being this whole time. And it was just a week ago or so that I first shared about this idea publicly. I made a post on Instagram and I talked about wanting to love historical architecture back to life and to live in community with worship and song and connection. And the response on Instagram was so overwhelmingly lovely and surprising to me. I had been keeping this a secret because I just didn't really know how much it meant to other people, and it hadn't occurred to me to invite other people in. I was just privately saving and dreaming, but it just felt right recently to reach out and tell people. And I immediately had hundreds of comments of people telling me how they pictured their role in the monastery, in a pagan monastery, because that's the question that I asked. How do you see yourself contributing to this? And it was amazing how everybody who contributed piped up with their own vision. And it was like everyone had seen the same picture that I had seen. I only shared a few words with some evocative ideas and people were filling in the blanks. It was like this world, this place is, is fully formed already and we're just tapping into it. That's the feeling that I want to carry forward, that this vision is not mine. This vision is all of ours, and it's available to anybody who wishes to use it. And I intend it to be a healing force and to be a force for grounding us back into connection with each other and with the earth. And I have so much trust now that I've opened it up to other people that we can do this together, that this is happening that you're here with me and I'm here with you and there's nothing that can stop us from making this a reality because it already is, because it's already all here and there's nothing we have to do aside from open up to it and allow it to occur. And this is my part in the offering that we're making to the land, to this world, to divinity itself. Sometimes I wonder if maybe instead of us praying to the gods, 
the gods are also praying to us and that if we keep our eyes open, we see signs everywhere of what the world wants us to to be and to do, which is healed and whole and happy and really deeply alive and vibrant. And the more that we show up in that vibrant aliveness and allow ourselves to be witnessed, the more the prayers of the gods and ourselves are answered. So this is my invitation to join me in this process, in this dream, in this prayer towards pagan monasticism. I don't know what will happen yet. I haven't got all the plans in place, but I just want to share it with you. I just want to open it up and get this ball rolling. Thank you so much for listening today. If this episode touched or inspired you, it would mean a great deal to me if you rated and positively reviewed it and you shared it on social media, email, or regular old snail mail. Your support is invaluable to this project. If you want to connect with me further, you can find me on Instagram at danica.voice, or you can email the podcast and the Pagan Monastery project directly at paganmonastery at gmail.com. Thank you to Gadus Morgua Ensemble for the opening theme music to the Pagan Monastery podcast. Thank you very much also to artist Kira Kira, whose song appeared at the center of this episode. That song is called Bless Ast, and it is performed with Sandriati Fey and Pekka Kusisto. The intention behind this song, in the words of Kira Kira, are the sincere wish that everything will get resolved effortlessly, on its own, while we take our sweet rest after having done our best. I encourage you to go to the link in the show notes in order to purchase Kira Kira's music through Bandcamp. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.